Hello again, and welcome to our Governing Health Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Peregrine. We're pleased that you're with us today. Our conversation is intended to provide some greater leadership insight on the role and function of a real important contributor to organizational risk management, the internal auditor. Now, as most of you are well aware, the stakes have really become high in terms of developing effective horizontal and vertical risk reporting relationships within organizations. 20 years after Sarbanes, there remains enormous interest in how internal financial, accounting, and risk controls are established, monitored, and shared within the organization. You know, we're seeing the Department of Justice substantially ramping up its enforcement of corporate fraud and individual accountability, together with loads of new incentives for voluntary self-disclosure. The Delaware courts, in turn, have made very clear what they expect from corporate directors and officers in terms of monitoring and reporting up the organizational ladder, compliance, and mission-critical risks. And we're also seeing major corporations moving away from siloed approaches to internal risk, legal, and compliance functions, and moving towards more coordinated approaches. And into this mix comes the internal auditor who historically provides a valuable role in the context of the organization's big picture commitment to corporate accountability and risk management, working, of course, with the general counsel, the chief compliance officer, and risk managers. But to some, the role of the internal auditor, its engagement with other risk officers, and its vertical reporting relationships remains something of a mystery, especially to board members and executives. They're just not as sure about that role as they should be. So to help resolve that mystery and to consider ways in which the internal auditor's efforts can be more coordinated with those of its risk, compliance, and legal colleagues, we're joined by two well-known experts from the international accounting firm, Grant Thornton. First is Warren Stippich, National Managing Partner for Quality and Risk and Advisory Services. In his quality and risk role, Warren oversees quality and risk management. In his client-serving role, Warren's got over 30 years of experience working with multinational, entrepreneurial, and high-growth public companies, including boards of directors and audit committees. His focus is on enterprise risk management, business risk consulting, and internal audit service areas from both the public accounting and industry perspectives. And we're delighted to have back our old friend and Warren's partner, Scott Steffens. Scott's an audit partner in Grant Thornton's not-for-profit and higher education practice based in Washington, D.C., with more than 30 years of experience serving exempt organizations of all sizes. Scott also serves on several boards and audit committees and is no stranger to our Governing Health podcast. Scott and Warren, welcome to the program today. I thought we'd approach this important review of the role of the internal auditor from two perspectives. First, from that of the internal audit, and second, from the perspective of the external audit. But first, let's begin with a jump ball question to both of you. Does the modern day role of the internal auditor trace back to Sarbanes-Oxley, or is that giving historical short shrift to the position? Thanks, Michael. The the role of the uh, internal auditor goes way back in time and certainly has been around for at least all of the 1900s. And certainly Sarbanes-Oxley gave it a boost and an injection and gave it, there was clarification that was added through Section 404 of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act. 
Warren, a follow-up question here. My understanding is that there are fairly substantial policy guidelines and, and other industry standards for the role of the internal auditor. Could you comment on that? Because I think that would be extremely informative to the audience. Absolutely. There is a, a body of uh, internal audit professionals that's called the Institute of Internal Auditors that the profession aspires to. And it's a global organization that happens to be headquartered in the United States. That organization puts forth a code of conduct and ethical standards and professional standards that we as a profession adhere to and follow. Now, it's not a regulating body in the same sense of, say, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission over public companies or the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board for the public accounting profession in the U.S., but it is an organization and it is a set of standards that gives us the ability to all come together and uphold the highest quality standards in terms of how we're executing the internal audit function. And I think that's a critical component of how stakeholders should look at the profession and professionals in the internal audit area to make sure that they're doing what they need to do and that there are professional standards that should be followed. And of course, that's really important from the perspective of others and what I would call the risk management universe, the general counsel and the compliance officers. Uh, we have three different critical groups, all of which have their own internal standards and external standards of ethics to re rely on and apply. Scott, what's your perspective on this kind of jump ball issue? Michael, I would echo what Warren said, is that there's always been a role with internal audit on engagements that I've been involved with since I started my career. And I would agree that there definitely was a re-emphasis on you know, the role of internal audit and maybe an elevation of the position as a result of Sarbanes. And we certainly have seen that you know, within our exempt organizations as well, where there are organizations that perhaps didn't have an internal audit role before have established one and have brought that person to the executive team uh, and have certainly stepped up their focus on you know, what types of uh, roles and responsibilities internal audit should have working with those different types of, uh, of exempt organizations. That's fascinating. I mean, it's just so interesting from a background perspective. Warren, let's now turn to you for a couple of questions, again, from the perspective of the internal auditor. Questions that I think kind of designed to relate to the inner workings of the office, the position and the interaction between the internal audit function and other executives within the organization. Questions that I think, frankly, fellows, are most relevant to both the government's new focus on corporate accountability and the Delaware Court's focus on reporting up requirements. So let me begin with one question to you, Warren, and it's one that the lawyers sometimes feel as well. Is the chief auditor not invited to executive level discussions, or should the chief auditor be a regular participant in not only executive level discussions, but perhaps also executive session discussions? What's your perspective on when the internal auditor has a seat at the table? Yeah, great question, Michael. In terms of leading practices, where I see a chief auditor at his or her highest functioning ability is when, when they are invited in to senior leadership meetings and executive conversations at the highest levels in the organization. And they're part of discussions, things leading to decision-making and having influence and input on potential outcomes. While certainly the auditor is in a role, uh, the internal auditor, the chief auditor is in a role of you know, monitoring the internal control environment and, and perhaps reporting on, on uh, items and issues therefore related and not operating the control environment, their input can be very sage and, and beneficial, both strategically and operationally as a, a senior executive team is looking to lead a company forward. Well, now, Warren, I'm going to rely on your expert advice here as I start to pull the pin a little bit out of the grenade and get into some of the issues that have been controversial in what I would call the 
the horizontal communication between risk officers. Given that the chief auditor usually, as I understand, has a direct functional reporting line to the audit committee, should the chief auditor handle all communications on matters like risk and control and compliance matters? What do you see the proper role of the internal auditor there? I believe the internal auditor in most companies should not have as broad of a role as compliance, uh, enterprise risk management, internal control, even external audit coordination. I really believe that the internal auditor should be in a role charged with working at the disposal of the audit committee, which is a committee of the board, in that monitoring and oversight role for the board and for senior management. And therefore, if a company is large enough and able to have executives in the other roles as, say, a chief risk officer or chief compliance officer, that those duties should be separated and delineated, but coordinated, right? I believe that that's a key element of this uh, whole conversation that as we unpack this here today, we'll get into. And that's actually the next question, because as you know, and Scott knows historically, well, it's at least over the last 20 years, there's been some pushback or, or tension between some of the roles, for example, chief legal officer and chief compliance officer as to reporting and collaboration as opposed to or silo approaches. What's your vision of how collaboration looks between the chief auditor, the chief compliance officer, and the chief legal officer? Yeah, there clearly has to be collaboration. And I've witnessed um, plenty of times where there hasn't been collaboration. And there has been a silo mentality, and, and it's very, very difficult for the audit committee to maneuver. And of course, senior management as well as, as recipients of a lot of that information. So, you know, without the leading practice of good collaboration and non-territorial behaviors in the executive levels around risk management and oversight, such as enterprise risk management, risk compliance, and internal audit, you're going to get this clunkiness and you're going to leave the audit committee with portions of a story that are either so overlapping or so uninterwoven and so disparate that you're going to leave it up to them to piece together what's really happening. And, and that is something you, we don't want to do. We don't want to have to leave the audit committee to figure things out because then we'll be creating frustration and they're charged with a lot of responsibilities, as, as we all know, in their duties, in their roles. Actually, that's a question I was going to have a follow-up ask you. In your experience, are audit committees prepared out of the box to identify or anticipate that kind of tension or that territorialism sometimes between officers or, you know, who tells them to be on the alert for that? I think it depends, right? This isn't necessarily something that you're going to learn in a boot camp to become an audit committee member or a board member, but I do think probably 30 years of experience helps these people deal with the realities of the world and personalities and egos and politics. So I believe that uh, as those that get to know those audit committee chairs and members that get to know their chief compliance officers, their chief risk officers, their chief audit executives, and their senior management leaders will begin to see and sense what the collaboration uh, philosophy is between those people or lack of collaboration philosophy. Well, let's put you in the role of chief internal auditor of an organization right now, and you've got a beef with the compliance officer or the, or the chief legal officer, and you're just not working it out. It's not going anywhere. You've got a, a report to the board coming up. How do you resolve it? What's the internal auditor supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, ho hopefully at the years of experience that these executives are going to be in, you're going to embrace a conversation, right? You're going to work at that. You're going to stay curious, and you're going to call out if there's an elephant in the room on whatever the dispute is over. There are certainly swim lanes of divisibility of workload. So you should be able to focus on who's got what responsibility in what camp. And then how are you and, and the other person that you are disputing with gonna to come together 
to tell the story to the most senior executives in your company, as well as to the audit committee. And you have to work at it. I believe you have to continue to reach across the aisle. And I don't think it's acceptable to fail. I do think that if the chief, say the chief compliance officer, the chief risk officer, and the chief auditor aren't together and unified in their messaging, then ultimately audit committee could make some changes either directly or through CEO or CFO conversation. And that's something that people don't want. Before we turn over to Scott, let me kind of come back and ask you a follow-up question. And you and I both use the word siloing, and we were both familiar with the concept of, of some of these roles being siloed for various reasons. Are, are we moving past uh, the, the value or utility of siloing the roles of the legal officer, the risk officer, the compliance officer, the internal auditor? It seems that some organizations that we all represent are saying, we're too sophisticated for that. We've got to have these people talking. We've got to get rid of the silos. I absolutely want to believe that and where we are in 2023. And what I've observed is just a continued maturity of these groups and within the, the, the corporations and the organizations that they represent, that if there isn't this, it's not necessarily harmonious uh, because certainly natural tension in the corporate hallway is fine, but there, there needs to be this collaborative view of the risk world that's being able to be managed. Otherwise, if there is an outlier in behavior, I do see companies taking action to exit if there is an outlier and it's been properly coached and constructively feedback and there's no change in improvement, I see executives exited. Final question on this because it's a fascinating topic. If you were speaking to an audience of chief legal officers, risk officers, and compliance officers, what are the one or two ethical rules and considerations from the internal auditor's perspective that you would like those folks, those constituencies to be aware of more? I would say, remember that it's better to share with the audit committee your observations, even if they're not all fully uh, baked yet. And, and certainly you can share certain topics under proper privilege with council present, no issue there. But trying to solve some of the issues that come across in the groups that you mentioned behind the scenes for a while, but not involving audit committee consultation can create an integrity issue downstream because then it looks like you've not been forthcoming. And for a chief auditor in, in that area, really, you know, we're functionally beholden to the audit committee. And I know that these can be sensitive topics and there's, there's sometimes uh, not all black and white, but I do believe that, you know, having the highest integrity, which chief auditors do, and having an open and honest and transparent conversation with audit committees and with the most senior executives in the company is critical. It's possible to get along then and still, and still adhere to your ethical duties. Well, Scott, let's turn to you and you're wearing the role now in your traditional role from the external audit perspective. Uh, what are the kinds of questions that you get from the, uh, as an external auditor from audit committees around your interactions with internal auditors? I think this is just a fascinating topic. Sure. There's a wide variety of questions, Michael, that we get from, from audit committees. And, and sometimes it's an executive session, you know, without the internal auditor presence. Sometimes it's in you know full general session. But to give you some examples, you know, they may start with simply, you know, have you, the outside auditor, you know, read the internal auditor's plan for the next year and what, what do you think about it? And I think that that places a degree of responsibility on us as the outside auditors to be engaged with the internal auditors, understand what they're looking at. Uh, what their focus areas are, and then be prepared for those type of conversations. Uh, those are generally you know, questions I don't like to answer by saying, well, no, we haven't looked at it. And we don't know what internal audit is doing. So it's it's a good way to have some dialogue with the committee to provide some insight as to what 
internal audit is is doing. And it's generally followed up with a question along the lines of, you know, do you see internal audit as adding value to the organization? Are they acting as a resource to the financial management team and to others in the organization, or are they viewed as a Department of Internal Affairs looking to really you know, report on compliance matters? You know, are they are they adding you know, true value and making things better, or are they you know, simply reporting what's what's not working? So, you know, those type of questions you know, typically come up around just trying to assess you know what internal audit is is doing, and then you know, lastly, it would just be around how uh, what types of uh, focus you know we see internal audit is spending their time on. You know, is it you know being reactionary and you know, kind of chasing uh, issues after they occur, or are they being very forward looking and thinking about what outside forces inside? activities may be impacting an organization. And, you know, those were all very healthy conversations, you know, good ones to have uh, with uh, the auditor. uh, Because as I, you know, if I was sitting on an audit committee, I'd I'd want my auditors to be, you know, engaged with uh, internal audit, understand what they're doing and, you know, how they can effectively, you know, work together. Not so much to be relying on their work, but more just to be understanding the types of areas and the types of things that internal audit is, is identifying. Not to ask an unfair question, but let me ask you an unfair question. In your experience, do you see audit committees more or less capable of understanding the, the true role and function of the internal auditor? I think it's a, it's a mix. It, it really depends on you know, some of the things that you know my partner Warren you know, brought up, which is how engaged is the committee with you know the full you know understanding of the scope of what internal audit is doing and, and really being able to articulate why internal audit is there. For those committee members that do just see internal audit as a necessary evil without a a true role, you know, they're not really asking a lot of questions to truly understand what internal audit is, is doing with respect to adding value. But those that really have some good, you know, experience, you know, perhaps with other organizations with, you know, good internal audit departments, they're asking really good, robust questions that facilitate discussion around, geez, when was the last time we did a full risk assessment and who should be doing that? And how are we evaluating the effectiveness of uh, our internal audit department? And where are we you know, where are we getting resources for internal audit? How are we evaluating, promoting them, you know, making sure that they're feeling like they're adding value to the organization? All good questions, you know, coming from those audit committees that are well engaged with what the function is up to. Well, let me pick up on a question that, uh, or an issue that you've mentioned, I think that Warren mentioned as well. Are there situations in which audit committees question legitimately or out of lack of knowledge uh, whether the internal auditor really has a role within an organization or in your, and I guess to both of you, is, is that role so well established that the question doesn't arise because it's, it's surprising to me that those questions might be raised? Well, maybe I'll start, and I'd really be interested in, in Warren's follow-on to this, because he and I have both had examples where we've had clients that have had internal audit departments, and then to your point, after a series of conversations with the committee and management, the committee may decide we no longer need internal audit, we don't see the value, so perhaps our, our best option is to come up with a creative co-sourced or outsourced option to give us better value from you know what, what they're getting from an internal audit function, and I've seen that a couple times where you know, the decision by the committee was, you know, well, we've got a we've got a department. They're just not doing what we need them to do. We don't think they've got the capabilities. We don't think they're going to get those. And we don't want to go out and hire three or four more people. So let's turn to an outside organization to provide a, a co-sourced model. And that's generally where, you know, it, it results in, you know, not necessarily a complete elimination of the department, but one where there would be, you know, looked at to co-source it. And, and maybe Warren, you could comment on how you've seen that from your side of the table as well. Yeah, to even go a step further, I think that uh, unless mandated by uh, SEC rule or uh, exchange listing rules, 
some organizations have done away with internal audit and just haven't decided to outsource it either because they didn't perceive the value or they have another view of what they want to spend the money on. So I do think that there is that risk. And certainly if organizations, that, if you set aside those that aren't having an, a regulatory mandate for an internal audit function, want to do that effort or have that spend out of the, the, the goodness of their heart, for lack of a better word, I think that uh, there has to be uh, really, really good value. And that value comes in lots of different forms. But I think that that is uh, still a, a case that I see organizations debate. And uh, sometimes audit committees may agree that they don't necessarily uh, view at this point in time that they may not need an internal audit function. Well, for those internal auditors who are listening in, I'm going to give you Scott Warren's home addresses where you can send all your nasty notes and critical notes. But actually, that leads up to a, a good follow-up question to Scott and to Warren. Recognizing that that happens in some organizations, in a perfect world, what are, what are your clearest and most important characteristics of a successful or productive internal audit department where these issues don't pop up? Scott, what's the best practice for an internal audit department in your uh, in your experience? You know, I for me, it's really good, consistent communication, both with the audit committee and with the auditors and with management, you know, a regular reaffirmation of you know what value they're adding, what they're you know, looking to do going forward in terms of plan, really making themselves you know indispensable with respect to the the overall you know, management team. You know, those those internal auditors that that do tend to you know step back a bit and, and play a more quiet role. They there's a higher risk for them to fall into that category of not really being seen as as adding value and being you know, up for consideration for you know possible you know removal or replacement. And if I could add, you know, since you're going to be giving out our home home addresses and phone numbers, I would I would encourage internal auditors to seek out you know good groups of you know peer organizations. So in my case, and not in the nonprofit community, there's a a great group that's led by a you know a Chicago head of internal audit at a large not for profit. He gets together you know a large group of his peers from around the country, and they you know, get together to compare notes about you know how they are you know dealing with uh, boards and management committees and audit committees and outside auditors and how they can continue to you know look to add value to the organization. And I think that's the way to stay current and relevant as to what is important to the organizations that you serve. And certainly you know Warren mentioned. You know, Institute of Internal Auditors has got you know great resources as well to do the same. But I think the more individuals can seek out peers for similar types of organizations, the more valuable they can be to you know to see how they can you know collectively teach each other you know the things that are you know that's working well for each of the organizations and share that amongst themselves. And Warren, let me turn back to you on on that point. If you were sitting down in a meeting with compliance officers and chief legal officers. What would you articulate as the, as the real value of the internal auditor? How would you educate them on what, in a perfect world, the internal auditor provides this overall risk function? The uh, the greatest value is that we're going to bring the independent and objective point of view and perspective because we have the safeguard of reporting to the audit committee functionally. So that, by by virtue of definition, should allow us to work freely and to come up with our observations and our recommendations freely without fear of reprisal. Now, that's that's certainly theoretically correct in, in, in how it operates. Now, obviously, you have to overlay politics and the reality of life. So, you know, the organizations, the senior leadership teams and organizations that really understand that role of the internal audit function leaves the internal audit operate unfettered 
does not try to influence them or create a political situation for them and lets bad news flow. You know, the sooner you get bad news out, the better off everybody is. And and organizations have issues. So I think internal audit's greatest value is being able to manage that directly, having the proper conversations with all those bodies you mentioned, senior leadership teams, no surprises anywhere there, and then communicating with the with the audit committee as appropriate. I think, you know, some of the best value that we can bring is also in the eye of the beholder, right? So the audit committee and senior management, if they're looking for an internal audit function to strictly reduce cost or find cost savings or do things like that, you know, then you as a chief auditor need to understand that. And there's probably a disconnect, even if you've created educational time and explained the role of the internal audit function. There, there's also, you know, blocking and tackling and table stakes to use uh, a couple of tried expressions that an internal audit function needs to do to satisfy it does the control environment operate effectively in an organization. And sometimes that's a little bit boring for senior leadership, but with the right mindset, especially in the world that we live in today, there should be lots of comfort and mileage taken from that. And that internal audit doesn't doesn't have to pay for itself through findings of, of dollars and, and, and cents, but that they're adding a value to create and give that comfort that an organization's control environment is uh, robust and withstanding review and withstanding pressure testing along the way. Scott, but as we wrap up, let me go back to you on, and kind of carry forward on this point. If you were being asked to advise a client on its consideration on how to make its risk evaluation reporting more efficient and, and more cost-effective, how would you, in a nutshell, describe the proper integration of legal risk compliance and internal audit and how would you and I'm then Warren I'm going to turn to you and ask where are the pitfalls and how do you avoid it but Scott you've got the chalkboard what's the perfect hierarchical alignment between those four groups I think I would go back to something that uh, Warren commented on earlier which is just you know really effective collaboration amongst all those groups and regular communication you know absent that there is risk that you know, each of those groups may be off you know, uh, focusing on areas that are not aligned with each other. And it's not so much that there needs to be absolute agreement among all three of those groups, but rather just best good collaboration so that there isn't duplication of effort or there isn't, you know, uh, too much focus in areas that, you know, really are not deemed to be of material risk to the organization. And I think the best way to, to uh, avoid that is just, you know, good regular, you know, uh, collaboration amongst amongst those groups. And if you're in the room again with the with colleagues in legal and compliance, what are the areas, what are the real lanes in which you think internal auditors just must simply have the uh, preeminent role? What are those subject areas that you'd want them to understand? I probably simply boil it down, you know, into things that have financial risk because that's the hat that I wear, but it's around, you know, what are the operating risks? What are the, the financing risks? What are the reputational risks of the organization? Those are the areas that immediately come to mind that I'd want to make sure, you know, internal audit is at least touching on and then, you know, letting, you know, the conversation, you know, dictate where the majority of the time and resources should be spent around addressing those types of risks. And Warren, in your experience, where are the areas that need the greatest attention between these officers in order to avoid some kind of disabling or inefficient overlap between the duties of the CLO, the CCO, the risk officer, and the internal auditor? What, what are the words to the wise? Yeah, I, I think pulling up on a regular basis uh, with a meeting, talking about the issues that you're uh, all working on, 
figuring out where there's the overlap and where there's not and, and making sure that there's some alignment along the way. And I think that that's really, uh, you know, the hallway before you walk into the audit committee meeting is not the place to do that, right? There should be, should be some discipline uh, and some intentionality around a standing scheduled call or meeting where you're, you know, you're flipping through your issues. And again, if there are things that are causing general counsel's office concern around privilege and this and that, Council can advise that meeting and create a secure environment. But, you know, I think where we, where we run into problems is we're not all, all the, the members of that type of a meeting are being forthcoming and holding things back. And then there's, there could be the risk of a bit of an ambush in an audit committee meeting where all three are talking about something or four are talking about something. And then somebody's not briefed enough. Then the audit committee turns the table and asks the question to somebody else that's not briefed. You, you then begin to have a bit of erosion in that. So you want to avoid those situations and really try to have a, a unified perspective. And to drill down a little bit further before we go, is there a particular gray area or gray areas where in your 30 years of experience, you see the most, what I would call jurisdictional tension as to whether it's the role of the internal auditor, the compliance officer, the general counsel, where are your the battlegrounds that you see most often? Between legal and audit would be investigations of a financial nature, right? Those tend to, you know, who's leading the investigation. I think you need to have clear rules of the road on that. You know, the internal auditor is a control expert. The legal is generally the investigation expert. So so that you need to marry up on. On compliance, again, you know, is it compliance with financial control related matters or certain operational related matters that are a financial nature? That's audits. In my mind, if it's compliance with other types of laws and regulations and mandates of a, of a jurisdiction or an organization, that tends to fall to compliance. So I think you need to just have a, a depth chart of who's got majors and minors and who's, you know, who's got the, the priority and work it through, right? And then on the ones that are falling in between, hop on a call and work it out. I don't, I don't think anybody's looking for more work. I think that it's important to just have a, you know, a good conversation. Scott, let you have the last word here. In your experience, 30 years of experience, What's the single greatest attribute, the single greatest value that the internal auditor brings to the organization? And I want to end up on a high note here. I would say added integrity to overall internal control and, and just risk evaluation, that there's a, you know, a, a good, solid resource that's helping uh, the organization you know, stay focused on that type of area and making sure that it's properly showcased. And you know, the best of internal auditors really help help the, the board and, and management feel good about that whole process. And and uh, and that really is a, a great value add that the, the internal auditor can bring to the table. In that regard, Scott, do you find that the, the lessons of the Enron era and the legislative foundation of Sarbanes still has value as it relates to the role of the internal auditor? I think there will always be a place at the table for internal audit, you know, as long as we have you know, never-ending uh, financial scandals that uh, that just don't seem to go away. So uh, I think that, you know, Sarbanes just reinforced the need for the strength uh, of an internal audit function and just don't see it going away anytime soon. Well, fellas, this has been fascinating, and I think our clients will, will really appreciate it. I, I, my takeaway, you tell me if I'm wrong, is that the role of the in, internal auditor has an understated but critically important role in the overall corporate responsibility of the organization. You've given me great confidence that this is a, a position that is prone to and understands the need for collaboration. And as a result, I think, again, tell me if I'm wrong, but uh, can be a, an important and willing participant as our clients begin to, again, find this way to provide a collaborative, cooperative horizontal platform for all these officers to discuss risk 
and discuss risk reporting upstream to the board, combining their expertise. Am I being a Pollyanna, Warren, or is that is that a fair summation? No, I think it's a fair summation, and I think that all of us in the profession are striving for that. Scott Steffens, Warren Stippich, you know, we I could continue to have this conversation for a long time. I think it's fascinating, it's important, and I thank you particularly not only for your time, but for your identification of the important role of the internal auditor. It's just something that not only the board and the audit committee, but also our colleagues in legal and compliance need to keep in mind. And we thank you very much for your thoughts today. Thanks, guys. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you. This material is for general information purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice or any other advice on any specific facts or circumstances. No one should act or refrain from acting based upon any information herein without seeking professional legal advice. McDermott, Will & Emery makes no warranties, representations, or claims of any kind concerning the content herein. McDermott and the contributing presenters or authors expressly disclaim all liability to any person in respect of consequences of anything done or not done in reliance upon the use of contents included herein. Copyright 2022, McDermott, Will & Emery. All rights reserved. Any use of these materials, including reproduction, modification, distribution, or republication without the prior written consent of McDermott is strictly prohibited. This may be considered attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.